Hello, beautiful peeps! <laughs> and welcome back to another episode of Soberoso, the podcast, where we invite guests and listeners from around the world to join us in sharing our passion for recovery. My name is Dora, and I am a recovering alcoholic, addict, and codependent no more. I am also your grateful host of this show. If this is your first time finding us, we welcome you here with open arms. Soberoso is a fabulous show for those who are sober curious, family members of addicts and alcoholics, newcomers in recovery, and old timers too. It doesn't matter if you are young, old, black, white, or rainbow. At Soberoso, we celebrate all people in all programs and stages of recovery. If you are a repeat listener, I am personally sending you a virtual hug right now. I hope you can feel that. Thank you for coming back and for your continued love, support, and comments. Soberoso is not affiliated nor do we represent Alcoholics or Narcotics Anonymous in any way, shape, or form. Although some of our guests and myself may make reference to these programs at times when sharing our recovery stories. We are real people raising awareness around addiction, alcoholism, mental health issues, and abuse by sharing our personal journeys before and after getting clean and sober. You can join us in raising awareness around these issues by liking, following, and subscribing to the Soberoso podcast. And please share it with a friend if you enjoy it and you think a friend could benefit from listening, please uh, go ahead and share that message in one of our episodes with a friend. If you have been thinking about starting up your own podcast and you have a message you'd like to share with the world, we encourage you to check out Anchor. Anchor is how we make this Soberoso podcast. Anchor is an easy-to-use application that is user-friendly and it's absolutely free. Once again, my name is Dora. I am your grateful host. I am thrilled that you are here joining us in sharing our passion for recovery. Hi, Jane. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good to meet you. How are you? Good. I'm nice great. to meet you. I'm a real big fan. I've been looking at your page. I'm a big fan of what you do. And oh, I've listened to some you. of your podcasts and your message is awesome. And thanks for having me today. It's a real honor. Oh, Bye. it's my absolute pleasure. I'm glad you could be here to uh, share your experience and, and hope with me and with our audience. Very cool. Warning. This podcast deals with mature subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. It may contain talk of drugs, sex, violence, and have the occasional profanity.
what episodes did you listen into? Do you recall? Um, the one on gratitude I saw, I didn't watch the whole thing, but that was very good. It just, when I left, when I, when I clicked off that, I was, you know, it's, it's so easy to forget because not only is gratitude, like you were saying, it, it's just what it gives us, but how it correlates with joy, because mm -hmm. if we're not grateful for the two different things, like if we're not grateful for where we are, we're not going to get to where we want to go. And the other thing is just the, if you're not grateful for the little stuff, the big stuff's not going to mean anything to you. It's, you got to be grateful for everything. We're only here for a small amount of time. And if you're not grateful for being here, you're not grateful for your sobriety. What's the point of all this? Exactly. You know, beautiful. Yeah. I believe in that episode, I was talking about gratitude being used as a tool, you know, in mm -hmm. my own, my own recovery that I really believe, you know, um, what, what, what's the line? It's um, a heart full of gratitude is a magnet for miracles. You know, yes. I mean, when, when you're grateful for the small things, you attract more of that in mm -hmm. your life. That's what, yeah. what, what we're focusing on. And, and that becomes okay. more prevalent. So if you wake up stubbing your toe and cursing the world, well, you're bound to have one of those days where everything just goes out the, out the window. <laughs> right. And, and it's under our control. I mean, not only do we have control if we want to pick up a drink, but we have control on how we think today and how exactly. we can choose to be happy on purpose or choose to be grateful on purpose and choose our attitude. AA can also stand for attitude adjustment. Nice. Beautiful. I love it. Well, Jane, uh, <laughs> Where, where I, I looked at your bio and it looks like you've been all over the place, Chicago, New York, Boston, where, where are you coming to us today from? I'm um, currently in Chicago. Um, I went to college in Boston and lived in New York in my twenties. And now I'm back uh, near where I grew up raising okay. my daughter. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I've never been to Chicago, but I've always wanted to go there. I hear they have a wonderful um, music scene. They do come in the summer though. The winters oh. are brutal. Where yeah. are you I'm in Mexico. I'm in Puerto awesome. Vallarta. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I knew, I knew that you were there. I just know if you were there today. Yes. Yeah. That's where I am. Cool. Wonderful. So why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your, your backstory of um, coming into recovery or yeah, let's start there. When, when, when did you get sober? Oh my gosh. I knew I was a full blown alcoholic by the time I was 25. Wow, um, I just didn't, you. I just didn't, do anything about it. I continue to find situations or relationships that allowed me to continue self-destructiveness. Took me over a year to just get 30 days um, without a drink. So, and to be honest, you know, I don't think I got sober for myself. I had my daughter who was um, two years old was living with my father at the time because I was an unfit parent. And um, I got sober because I didn't want her to grow up without a mother. Eventually, I'm now doing the work and staying sober for me. But um, to be honest, initially, I was so far gone um, that I was so deep into the disease that I didn't think I was worth it anymore. I mean, the four horsemen were waking me up in the morning. Um, the the self-loathing that came along with chronic alcoholism, um, not to mention the depression and uh, it was exhausting. I mean, just it, drinking around the clock is a full-time job. It is. It really is. It takes a lot of energy. It does. Right. And I was sufficiently tired of being sick and tired enough to actually do the work. So right. I was able to put the drink down when I reached out to God and, you know, 
begged for help and actually got into the literature with the well-versed sponsor. And I haven't had a drink in over 11 plus years. And I was certain I was going to die in the disease. I was certain of it. I didn't see a way out Mm -hmm. um, until uh, God relieved me of the mental obsession. Because if I was still thinking about drinking, I'd still be drinking or I would have died drunk. I don't know exactly how that works or when it left but you know, alcoholism is a twofold problem. The mental obsession, I want to drink. I want to drink coupled with, um, the physical allergy. Once I put it in my system, I'm toast. I just want more. So Mm -hmm. why don't you tell us and the listeners, what were, what were some of the signs that you saw that led you to believe that alcohol was a problem that you might be an alcoholic? Um, that I couldn't wake up in the morning without one uncontrollable shaking. Um, my legs would shake so violently. They'd wake me up in the middle of the night. Um, my hands would shake so badly. If I didn't have a drink, I couldn't sign my own name or get a manicure Um, the physical symptoms are what got me. That's what got me to realize I'm, when I had to have a couple drinks, when I was still social towards the end of my alcoholism, I was in complete isolation, but when I was still social, I'd have a have to have a couple drinks just to study my hands to go meet my friends for drinks. I mean that that's problematic right there, and that started happening in my twenties. Um, so the by the time I um, was able to um, get help, I was already so far gone um, physically. Mm-hmm. I, my bo- and my mind too. I mean it's it's mental, physical, spiritual. So the physical signs were clearly there. And then my body had my mind convinced that I was drinking to live. Like if I don't drink, I'm going to stroke out. So when you're that warped in your thinking and your body's solidifying that thought process because your body's all out of whack. And, and I had a very real um, physical dependency. I really did not think I would ever be able to, to quit drinking. I thought this is just, you know, what my cross to bear, I'm going to die drunk. And that's just the way it is. I really, to, to be sitting here, I'm still in awe of my sobriety over 10 plus years later. I'm still in awe of how I got blessed enough or, or lucky enough um, mm-hmm. to be able to put this behind me. I mean, God, I, I didn't get sober of my own works. God relieved right. me of my alcoholism. Beautiful. That's how I see it. Yeah. 11 years and hi, how are you? I'm good. Can you, when you started noticing the physical symptoms in your Mm -hmm. drinking, you started noticing them yourself, but was there other people around you that were nudging you or pointing it out to you? Like, Hey Jane, you better wake up. Like you're not, were other people also pointing it out to you or was it a self-realization? No, it was more of a self-realization because as I kept going farther down the scale, alcoholics love to drink with other alcoholics. Mm -hmm. So I would be drinking at, you know, the Chicago Board of Trade where people, it was totally normal when you're in an environment like that to have a cocktail before 9 a.m. A Bloody Mary you could see through. So I was drinking with, with other alcoholics and people who would not question why are you having a drink at nine o'clock in the morning I was surrounded sort of by by misfits if you will and um that that kept the party going because if I was surrounded by people who were functioning as normal sober human beings 
there, I, I couldn't have been around them and they clearly couldn't have been around me because, um, you know, I was just, a, I was a walking disaster. So I stayed away from people that were normal and normal people stayed away from me. I totally get it. I, re I remember sometimes coming out of the bar at like six in the morning and seeing people jogging. I was like, who the hell do those right? healthy people think they are, you know, showing off. Right? I Don't even try oh talking God. to me. <laughs> One time this, I was, I, you know, towards the end of my drinking, there's nothing so social about it. I was drinking at home alone in my pajamas and I happened to be drinking red wine and I was smoking back then. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go out for a pack of cigarettes. Well, I never looked in the mirror back then. I didn't like myself. I didn't like anything about my life or um, <laughs> anything about, about me. So I went to go buy a pack of cigarettes after drinking red wine for about two days without looking in the mirror. And my teeth were black and I didn't know it. So I went and got in line and, you know, people would stand back and clutch their children. Like they, they oh, were no. looked at me in fear of just, what is that? And I, I, had, <laughs> I had no idea until I got right. home and I said, wow, that was more unusual than usual. <laughs> that was more unusual than normal. You know, by that time, <laughs> people, you know, wanting to take a step back or two for me, but, but I looked in the mirror and I had, I would go out with black teeth because uh, oh. I had, you know, I was just that far gone. I, I totally get it. I, I didn't like looking in the mirror. Actually, when I was like going on a bender, when I was drinking and drugging, I couldn't even like shut the bathroom door because my energy would just like fucking explode the room. Like, yeah, I was like, I couldn't be even in a confined space, you know, and I hated the mirror because I, if I was high and drunk and if I looked in the mirror, Oh. I would get stuck there and I would start criticizing it. So, you know, I'd walk by with my hands over my eyes. Oh, like yeah. I hated the mirror. I, so I, I totally get it. <laughs> suggested to me an early recovery to try mirror therapy. Mm. And so hard. It was to stand in front of the mirror, give yourself a hug and say, I love you. And oh. um, when I first heard it, I said, that's so awkward. I, I don't think I can do that. Um, you know, I didn't realize I didn't love myself. I was running on ego and fumes. So even in early sobriety of coming to terms with, you know, the mess I've made in my life to stand in front of the mirror, give myself a hug and say, I love you. They said, if you're really brave, you can try it naked. It would make jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry. I, I, I was so desperate. <laughs> I started doing it. I started wow. doing it. It's actually one of those little tricks that people, that people in recovery have, and it actually worked and made me, made me feel better. You know, make it till you make it. And I was giving myself an, a hug and saying, I love you before I ever nice. how to love myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, listen, Jane, I, um, I saw on your bio when I was, um, talking to you online, what do they call it nowadays? I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? I was telling you because I did it to you too. So it's okay. <laughs> and, and I couldn't help but notice in your Instagram bio, what caught, what caught my attention was this phrase sober and pissed off. Can you tell me what that means? Cause I'm dying sure. to know. Sure. So, um, you know, when I first got 
sober, it was like living on a pink cloud for a couple of years. I was really, truly grateful to be alive. I knew I was living on borrowed time. I also knew that my, my worth um, came from God and God turned that light on. It's, you know, that light that you can actually feel inside of you that, you know, that attracts other people that I never had I before. I, I, I had that going on. So, um, so after a few years sober, I started um, dating and then I eventually got married in recovery. And because of, I lacked emotional development because I started drinking heavily in my teens. So if there was ever sort of a breakup or anything that went wrong in a relationship, I would just drink it away. It didn't, I, it never hit me because I never dealt with those feelings sober. So falling in love and getting married and the troubles that go in with, you know, no relationship is perfect. And the troubles that go along with that, I was in my forties and felt like I, you know, had the feelings and the maturity level of a teenager, teenager trying to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so sober and pissed off was, the, I was having trouble um, with the relationship. I found out there was another woman in the picture that he was talking to. And it just, it made me so upset and, and it brought up all the insecurity. The number one common denominator for alcoholic women is insecurity. You know, it's one of the reasons we began drinking in the first place. And it's something that followed me um, even in sobriety with trying to, you know, to, to participate as a sober member of society and relationships and friendships and interviewing for work and, and things of that nature, the insecurity would pop up. And the way it would pop up a lot of times is, is anger. A lot Mm -hmm. of times anger is hurts big, bad bodyguard. So I was, so instead of being all set, I got, I was really angry. I didn't want to drink over it. I wasn't ready to give up my sobriety over it, but I, I was pissed. Mm-hmm. So the way I dealt with that, the way, the way it is back to the basics, you know, in, with prayer and meditation as part of my recovery, I was just praying. And a lot of the, when I first got sober, a lot of people would say to me, oh, Jane, you have a thinking problem. I'd say, this isn't dollar therapy. I have, a, I'm drinking myself to death here, folks. And they said, no, you have a thinking problem. Well, sure enough, I do. I have a thinking problem. Well, 90% of the brain is, is subconscious. So that's why meditation is so important in the, in the recovery, because I was able to, you know, the undercurrents that go on with, you know, of of any sort of strife or, or anger, anything that I had to deal with meditation helped me deal with that. And, um, I actually got to the bottom of the insecurity too. My worth today doesn't come from man or from other people. Unabashedly, my worth comes from God. So that fear of other people and that fear of man is gone. But there were years in my sobriety, I was still looking for external validation. Um, And now these days, it's not there. I tried, you know, with making a lot of money with corporate America or doing this or doing that, thinking that that was going to fill something. But the bottom line is my worth comes from God, period. Um, so when, when you get to that kind of freedom, not only do, you not, do I not care what other people think, but I feel like if, if a thousand people say no and God says a little yes, it's going to go my way. Like wow. God and me is the majority. So it, my faith has gotten so strong that all those other things that used to bother me, that I used to drink over and fear, 
they just don't matter as much when you, maybe it's part of aging too. I'm going to be 50 this year, but when my trust is not a, my trust is in something much higher than, than, uh, than what we deal with, with other people. That's been really liberating <laughs> extremely. Beautiful. You, well, you, you bring up so many amazing points. And one of the points that you bring up that I think is a very common thread for women and for alcoholics and addiction, first of all, is this uh, necessity to fill a void. You know, I think that's why we fall into alcoholism or become addicts because we are looking outside of ourselves to complete us, to make us feel normal, to, to help us fit in, to give us a voice, to give us reason, to help us sleep, to get over anxiety, to, it, it's a band-aid cure for so many things, alcoholism and addiction. And for myself, you know, I really, I am just realizing this too. You, you also mentioned that, um, you know, you started drinking early as did I at uh, the age of 13. I was living on my own at the age of 15. And our emotional and mental growth is stunted, they say, when we, when we start heavily drinking and drugging. Yeah. So when I came into recovery uh, at 44 years old, I, I did the same as you, you know, anytime there was a breakup and well, I just got really fucked up that weekend, yeah. you know, <laughs> right? Frank had drugged it away, you know, and I, I just buried it. I didn't want to look at it. I just would get, um, obliterated and just get lost and you know go on a bender that could be months could be whatever you know I could just drink it away and now that we're in sobriety I totally uh, understand what you're saying about this uh, sobering pissed off you know first of all we're taking away the the alcoholism and the addiction but this is just the substance and if you're like me early in recovery we realize that that is just a symptom. You know, what's going on with us is the causes and conditions. Why do we feel like we need to fill that void? Why are women looking for a man to complete mm -hmm. them? As I did. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm realizing for the first time in my life at 46 years old now that I can treat myself the way I've always been looking for a man to treat me with that love and respect and kindness and generosity. Yeah. And, you know, why the hell am I trying to bend over backwards to get a guy to give me that all that stuff when I can treat myself that way? And I'm Good. just learning this now. Good. Better late than never. <laughs> so I appreciate your comments on that. You know, is it recovery <laughs> and probably a little bit of aging too, where we oh, don't yeah. give a fuck anymore about other people? No. <laughs> I don't have the time for that anymore. Join us in wearing and sharing our passion for recovery by checking out our online shop at www.soberoso.com. Just think of all the things I wasted. I mean, all the amount of time I wasted over things that really didn't matter when I was, you know, 20, 30, 40. Oh, boy. I mean, I'm sure I still do it now. I'll look back ideally and look to say, wow, you know, you were still wasting time then, but not, not like I used to. Just, oh, especially wanting to fit in and what other people thought. What, what a big fat waste of time that is in retrospect. <laughs> Got me right. nowhere just made me feel bad about myself and comparisons to thief of joy. I always, you know, just, just playing that game of if I, 
you know, externally had this or did that, that I just wasn't there. And for years I couldn't figure out that just wasn't there. So when you, when you decided, uh, back, back in the day, back to 11, 12 years ago, that, that you had a problem and you couldn't carry on this path, where did you go from there? Like, did you know, did you just make a decision and quit on your own? Did you reach out to somebody or how, how did you begin your recovery? I, um, I was actually working for a financial company at the time and I had no business being there, but I had, um, you know, professional licenses and the resume to get me the job. And I was able to switch to beer and pass a different, um, securities license, even, even drunk. So I was still able to get to do some things here and there, but I couldn't keep it up. Like I could, I, I'd have spurts of, you know, being able to act like I was normal or had something to offer for a moment, a moment or two, but I didn't have, (laughs) I didn't have the wherewithal to keep it up. But my, um, my manager at that job was, uh, five or six years sober at that time. And you spot it, you got it. And he uh, said, there's clearly, you know, something going on here and you might want to want to, um, look into some sort of recovery program. And, um, so, uh, I, I went to a meeting or two and then, uh, continued to drink for another year. And then it just got to the point where, um, I split my face open with a coffee table. I don't, oh, I still no. don't know exactly how it happened, but, um, I needed stitch. I mean, just my circumstances kept, kept building, but the number one thing is I was an unfit parent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, my, my daughter was better off in other hands and I really, I really wanted to, uh, to get sober, to, to be able to be, I didn't want her to grow up without a mom. And that's okay. the main thing that, that got me, that got me, got you through the doors, got you yeah, started. Exactly. exactly. And, um, and then what kept me there was, well, I didn't believe any, anybody was, was, could live sober and happy. I, I, I thought, well, they're still drinking on the side or they're not a real drunk like I am. Cause if they were a real drunk, like they'd be screwed up right now. They would not be, you know, laughing and free and um, no. So what, but seeing people living rewarding lives free of drugs or free of alcoholism, like, wow, that's attractive and laughing mm-hmm. and, and being themselves and showing vulnerability and then, um, you know, turning me on to something first bigger than alcohol and then bigger to myself and, you know, feeling something good inside after feeling like crap for, you know, a decade, just feeling something good inside and, and then wanting to give that back that, that these people didn't know me from Adam. And they just, they, they loved me unconditionally after I've been pushed away by friends and family and society to take a misfit like me and say, we're here for, for you. When someone in the recovery program said, keep coming back, honest to goodness, I looked behind me. I thought they were talking to someone else because no <laughs> one told me to keep coming back right. anywhere. So, right. so that people were kicking us out. <laughs> oh, you again. There's no, yeah. you've reached so, your limit. <laughs> so that was a pretty good feeling just to be wanted someplace, right? Just to be wanted. Cause I, I wasn't wanted anywhere. I didn't even want to be in my own skin. And then people that, you know, the kindness of strangers showing me love and tolerance. And, you know, I, I finally became comfortable in my own skin and comfortable talking about the fact that I'm a, I'm a drunk and I can't, I, I'm, I'm completely dependent on it. And I'm a, I'm a total screw up. 
you know, I could mess up a wet dream and here they are <laughs> for love. It was amazing. It was amazing. So anyone out there that, that thinks, oh my gosh, there's, that might work for other people, but there's no chance for me. Well, I was that person and it works for anybody who wants it. I really believe that you just have to, you have to want it. Exactly. You have to want it. And it's not going to work. Recovery and sobriety is not going to work until you want it for yourself. I know you say you got through the doors because of your daughter, but stay for me. And for it to stay, it's for you, you know, personally. Because if we sometimes, you know, like a husband or a wife can, you know, come to an ultimatum and say, you better do something about this or we're (laughs) going to lose the marriage. And and the husband or the wife will go into a rehab and, and get sober. And then maybe the relationship doesn't work out. And then they're right out there drinking and drugging again, because it has to be for ourselves for it to stick. Yes. But initially it's not always a lot of men came in the door because they were having trouble at work. And a lot of women came in the door because they were having trouble at home. And um, I mean, that's, that's, there could be many different things. And, you know, the old joke is your liver, your lover, your lawyer, you know, Is your drinking and drugging getting out of control? Have you repeatedly promised yourself that you wouldn't do that again? Have you told your loved ones over and over that you won't make those same mistakes twice, yet you find yourself in the same scenario repeatedly? Are you at a turning point in your life where you know something has to change and you can't quit on your own? Have you tried to stop, yet you just simply can't do it? If this sounds like you and you are ready to try a new way of life, living clean and sober, we have an option for you. Check out our brand new Substance Abuse Treatment Center for Men, which is located in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. We have a full English-speaking staff that is ready to help you start your brand new journey in recovery and give yourself and your loved ones the gift that keeps on giving. Check out our website at www.recoveryinparadisepv.com. Whatever gets us there, but then one, I obviously I had to stay for me. Exactly. I had. To, I, I fi- I finally felt worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I finally felt at, worth it. And you must be just such an incredible role model for your daughter. Do, are you? Do you speak openly with her about your? Sobriety? Oh, she knows all about it. She's um yeah. She's been a part of the recovery community since she was a little kid, and going to you know sober events and things like that. And her first her first best friend was a daughter of a fellow um person in recovery and yeah so she's it's to the point now where she can tease me about it you know she's yeah so she's half Jewish so she always says well I'm half Jewish so I probably didn't get that gene you know (laughs) well (laughs) Well, I think that's just combination you know that in recovery we are where we learn not to keep secrets we learn to be honest about our our ups and downs so if you can carry that into your relationship with your daughter can yeah. be that open and that she can see you that way. 
you know, I, I would hope that you are just laying down a beautiful path for her to follow, you know? I hope so. I'm doing my best. She's 14 right now. And so the attitude is very, um, alive and well, she went to bed. I I swear it at 12, the sweetest little girl woke up at 13 saying, you're going to wear that. I said, Oh my goodness, where does (laughs) attitude come from? (laughs) But I'm getting it. I'm getting a kick out of it and I'm guilty for laughing at it, but you know, she'll say things like, Oh, you should have been in New York this morning. I'll say why she said, Oh, the today show was doing makeovers. And well, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) attitude. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's beautiful that you've been open open about your recovery and your meditation and, and my relationship with God. And I always tell her, you know, if you have a problem with anything in life, there is nothing wrong with asking for help. I wouldn't be here if I didn't ask for help. So Beautiful. just teaching her about, you know, other sources where she can find strength internally, you know, mm-hmm. that, that it doesn't really matter what the, the clicks at school and the, the this and the that and the popular club and all that stuff. Just what, what matters is you like yourself. And if you're having trouble, there are other people who are willing to help you. All you have to do is ask. Those are the main things I get across. I love it, Jane. Oh, it's wonderful. So why don't you tell me and the listeners, my dear girl, Jane, uh, I I see that you're a writer. You have a couple books out. Yeah, the the second one was Sober and Pissed Off. (laughs) Oh, that was a book. That's the book title, yeah. And I okay, wrote I didn't get that, that it was the book title. I was just wondering where, okay, okay, that was a book. Yeah, because I was sober and I was pissed off. I lost my emotional sobriety. And um, at six years uh, without a drink, I, I started losing my emotional sobriety. Um, and I was able to reclaim that with, like I told you, prayer, uh, meditation, um, but most importantly, uh really looking at my insecurity that I had and how it correlated with my drinking and how I carried that into sobriety and how I no longer get my worth from, from man and how it comes from God. And that that's really helped me, um, feel more secure and complete as a person all by myself. Again, like you said, instead of having, you know, a man or a career or this or that, or, you know, to, to label myself, I must be okay because I have this. Um, the, I, I felt like that in early sobriety. I felt like, well, I've got to, I've got to do really well in my career just because I'm not drinking anymore. I got to, you know, and all, all that stuff. And, um, the first book was, uh, love and compassion is my religion, a beginner's book into spirituality, talking about how, um, spirituality is there, there's no known cure for drug addiction or alcoholism. There's no known cure at all. The only proven treatment for 80 plus years is spirituality. That's it. So, um, so a lot of people that say, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's for me. It sounds a little woo-woo. They don't like the word God. I said, well, God could be an acronym, acronym for, you know, good orderly direction or group of drunks, but there's help. There's help. And, um, and a lot of times when you have a couple of years in the program, you don't want to be the one talking about your problems because there's the newcomer there and you want to show that this is working for you. You don't want to mm-hmm. be that selfish. So sober and pissed off was basically... Like, okay, I'm, I don't want to drink over this, but I'm not happy. And mm-hmm. that's okay for an alcoholic to say, I've lost my, my, my God connection or my emotional sobriety and asking for help with that. Just like we needed help in early sobriety. There's, right. there's nothing wrong with that. No matter how much time you have to say I'm struggling. You're right. Yeah. Wonderful. 
Now, you know, you've mentioned this word emotional sobriety, and I know a little bit about that myself, but can you describe that maybe to somebody that's out there listening to this podcast and, and is still drinking and drugging and they don't know what emotional sobriety is? What's the difference between sobriety and emotional sobriety? Well, a lot of times people can be physically sober and miserable. I'm just white knuckling it. I'm just not drinking today. I'm just not going to go, you know, do this today. And they're not happy. They're not living in the moment. To me, emotional sobriety is um, clear head, able body, a clean heart, good feelings inside, be at peace in be at peace with myself and comfortable in my own skin. I never thought that was possible without the ease and fake comfort coming from a drink or 20 drinks. Just being, if I was drinking right now and someone told me, oh, I'm so comfortable and I used to be a a drunk and now I've found peace and comfort without the bottle, I would have said, oh, sure you did. Sure. (laughs) You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, What, you wrote a book? You tried to sell a book? that's, That's impossible. But it, it's true. It's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, it's just Elvis Presley says or used to say, I mean, uh, one of his famous quotes are people will call you crazy when you talk about things they don't understand. And as a drunk, I didn't understand that there was inner peace. Mm-hmm. I never knew that it existed because when you are doing that merry-go-round drinking all the time, I was either drunk, thinking about my next drink trying to get my next drink and then going right back into feeling drunk again. It it was just miserable. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. Thank you so much. When you go from drinking as much as we did or as much as you did, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this, how, how much time we spend thinking about drink, getting the drink. When does the liquor store open? When does it close? Where am I going to sneak a drink? How am I going to get, you know, so much time. So when we start recovery and all of that time, we really get to see that we used to spend on thinking about getting that drink, getting that drug, Mm -hmm. fixing all of that really took up a big chunk of time. So do you dedicate that much time into your recovery or, or what are, what are some of the gifts that you have found in your sobriety? In, in early recovery, I did. I pretty much um, hid out in the, in the recovery community. I didn't think I was fit for society. And the more I, time I spent with the recovery community, it was more of an insurance policy that I wasn't going to go back to drinking. So yeah, in, in early sobriety, to, I mean, I say that like, for the first year and a half, I was, I was completely just not really doing much except... Um, except reading literature and developing my spirituality. And I got my daughter back a year and a week sober and, and enjoying being a mom for a first time. Mm. I really, really enjoying those, those moments. Um, so I did in early, in early recovery, but then it gets to the point where I still go, I still go for maintenance. I'm still going, you know, right now I'm, I'm very much plugged in, but, um, it wasn't, it's not the full-time job that, that it used to be when I was, you know, just all about getting it and uh, how to keep it, how to keep this going. Right. You've, you've and, got a good foundation down. Right. And a lot of alcoholics and addicts that, that get sober, I mean, whoosh, we just take off in all aspects of our lives. 
I mean, we'll get physically fit. We'll get good paying jobs. We'll become great parents, great friends, great neighbors, um, upstanding citizens. But yeah. the lowest of, I was the lowest of the low. And that energy that I used to waste, you know, digging through couch cushions to try to get changed to go get something to drink, <laughs> you know, can now I've got more time to, to give back. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Jane, it's just been a thrill talking to you here today. Um, can you tell our listeners out there how they can look you up, maybe where they can find your book? Your oh, sure. book? Um, I have an Amazon page at Jane Zarcy. My first name is Jane, J-A-N-E. My last name is spelled Z, the last letter, A-R-S-E. It looks like Zars, but it's, it, it's, it's pronounced Zarcy. Um, and my first book, like I said, is Love and Compassion is My Religion. Second book is Sober Pissed Off. Hi. And that, yeah, the same name. I'm, I'm on Instagram at Jane Zarcy. Hola, Dora. This is Paulina from Mexico. And I just want to let you know that I love your podcast. It has definitely helped me get even more curious about um, starting my path on sobriety. I've actually started being sober and I've been um, clean of weed and alcohol for the last three weeks. I definitely uh, feel very fortunate every time I see a new episode. It's great material with people all around the world. And I feel very accompanied and I can relate to almost each and every single of your episodes. I also love now that you've been introducing meditation once. I can't wait to um, see what else you guys come up with. So thank you very much for everything that you guys do and keep it coming one day at a time. Hola Dora, soy Paulina. Te mando este audio desde México. Eh, bueno, yo soy mexicana, pero vivo en Estados Unidos y eh, solamente para agradecerte y decirte lo muchísimo que me encantan tus podcasts. Creo que tienes eh, invitados muy interesantes con mucha eh, diversidad en cuanto a de dónde vienen y el tipo de adicción que tienen lo cual me ha ayudado muchísimo a crear conexiones con gente que ni conozco, pero que de alguna u otra manera nos unimos por un mismo eh, problema, pudiéramos decir que es el ser adicto ¿no? a ciertas sustancias. Eh, yo apenas, la verdad es de que me animé a, a probar, estar, intentar estar sobria eh, gracias a tus podcasts y bueno, pues nada más, muchísimas gracias, eh, me encanta lo que hacen, se los agradezco muchísimo, soy fan, eh, ahora me encanta que estás introduciendo capítulos con meditación, lo cual son muy buenos y me han ayudado muchísimo, así que muchísimas gracias. Good day, my name is Viator and I'm calling from sunny Puerto Vallarta. And I just wanted to call and express my gratitude to Dora and to Soboroso for such an awesome podcast. 
I've really enjoyed and have related so much to uh, to listening to so many of your guests, and and I just have to say that it's been a wonderful part of my recovery, listening to uh, to the variety of podcasts um, that are out. There's so many now, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much, and I look forward to the next one that comes out. We love hearing from our listeners, so please reach out to us. Send us an email, send us a text message. You can leave a voice recording on Anchor FM. And the best place you can find all of our information is by looking us up on our website at www.soberoso.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram under the same name, Soberoso. This podcast takes a lot of love, energy, and work, and we do it with love and with passion. If you are enjoying the show and you feel moved to do so, please donate a little bit of money, enough for a coffee, and you can do that by using the red button at the top of the website that says, show us some love.